Have you ever noticed that people like me, like you, have this this very real desire in us uh, to be known, to to be known? We, We want to be known by somebody. Not only that, we want to be known as somebody. I know that for myself, sometimes we just want to be affirmed by someone. We want to be valued by somebody. We want to be listened to. Uh, We want to be heard for who we are. We want to be liked. We want to be loved. We want to be good at something, but not just good at something. We want to be known for what we're good at. And some people will go way out of their way to make sure that they're known. They might compromise. They might be somebody that they're not just so that somebody might recognize them and, some, and somebody may know them. But one thing that I find miraculous in the Bible is that, is that we have a God that loves us and that, that we're known by. That when I read about this God, he says, I know you. He says, I know who you are. I, I find this on display for us in incredible ways in in the gospel of Luke chapter 12 verse 7 he says Jesus is is speaking to his disciples here he says he says indeed everybody say "Indeed." indeed indeed the very hairs of your head are all numbered now why would he say what what's the motivation what's the purpose for him saying that he's saying that because he wants you to know there's no reason to fear if God knows you that well He's saying, so, so do not fear, you're more valuable than many sparrows. Jesus was ministering this word in the context of people who had anxiety and worry. And so they were struggling with what, what was to come, what was going to happen. Maybe this would be a word for you this morning. If you're in that season, Jesus is like, you guys see the birds? They're doing all right. Like if you go outside, there's birds flying around. Who took care of those birds when... Las Vegas decided to have like bipolar weather over the week, right? Like God was like, I took care of the birds. Nobody else did. And Jesus says, you're more valuable than those birds. And so he says, I've counted every single hair on your head. I think that alone, that reminder in itself that God knows every hair on your head. For my bald folks, he did know your hairs on your heads. All right, come on somebody. Because I don't want you to feel devalued. You're like, ah, he does, that doesn't work for me. That doesn't mean, all right? There, he, he knows, he knows, okay? He knows and, and he loves you. I believe that's true, that you can make a case for that in the Bible, that, that he loves you and, and he knows who you are. And one example of this reality is a man featured primarily in the book of Genesis named Jacob. Jacob, over the next four weeks, I want us as a church to to gather around the book of Genesis, and we'll pull from some supporting texts as well, and I want us to do a character study on this brother named Jacob. I want us to learn from his shortcomings. I want us to learn from his achievements. I want us to learn from his qualities as a, a brother. He is also a husband. He's a dad. He is... Um, he has a twin brother. Uh, he's got a lot of different stuff going on in his life. 
Um, he also has parents, Isaac and Rebecca, who will be introduced to. Uh, he, he's, he's not just the husband of one wife, but multiple, which is weird, and we need to address that as well. Um, and I just want to go ahead and be completely transparent here, all right? And God knows him. And I just want to say this as we kick off this series today. I'm super fired up about this series. I'm excited about jumping into God's word. I was a little bit, I felt some type of way last week as I wasn't able to be here just because I love being here with our Walk Church family. This is, this is the highlight of my week. It's a joy for Nina and I to be a part of this, this family. But I'm super fired up to preach this series. Um, one, because... For whatever the reason, I've always just kind of been fascinated with the character of Jacob. He's always just had like a special place in my heart just because I think I can relate to him in certain areas. Um, the dude is so messed up. He's got so much, you know, Jacob, one word to describe Jacob is complicated. This guy is very complicated, much like us. So if you have complications here today, complications with family, complications with relationships, complication with siblings, complications with uh, personal identity issues. You can relate to this series. But not only that, you can relate to multiple people in the Bible. Jacob's not the only complicated one. His dad had complications. His dad's dad had complications. Abraham struggled with, with different things like lying and fear. Uh, Moses killed a man in the first couple chapters of his life. I don't know. If, don't skip past those things. Noah had complications with drunkenness. Um, Saul, Paul had com complications with different things in his life. Peter was always complicated, right? So my, my point in saying that Samson, Esther, Ruth, people are in the Bible and they got issues and real stories and real struggles. And I think it's really neat that we get to learn from those things. And we're going to do that looking through the life of Jacob. So, so be encouraged as I just kind of set the stage for this character study. We're going to find Jesus in Jacob's story, and I believe through it, we're going to be able to learn some leadership principles and grow closer to God through us, through it. And I believe that one thing that I hope that you really get out of this is that you're known, is that you're known. And you don't have to go grasping for other people's validation when you really are convinced that you're known by him. That's the, that's the most important thing that you need to know, that, that you, don't, you don't have to look elsewhere for affirmation and approval if you can find that in him. Brother, sister, you, you are known. If you're in Christ, you're not just known, but you can, be, you can be saved and set free. So if you're ready to dive in today into Jacob's story, uh, give me an amen. amen. If, you're, if you're ready, say ready. ready. If you're hungry to eat from this word this morning, say let's eat. Let's Father God, we speak to you right now. We come before you right now. God, we are, we're a body of believers that's hungry for your word, God. Lord, if there's somebody watching this online right now, God, I pray that they would be hungry for your word and that, God, you would speak to them through the audio, speak to them through the screen, God. Speak to them right now through your word. As we read this here together on July 22nd, God, we need an encounter with your word. Speak to us now. Open our hearts. Draw us close. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to kick it off in the beginning of Jacob's story by looking at Genesis chapter 25, verses 21 through 28. Genesis 25, verses 21 through 28. Let's just go ahead and read this whole chunk of scripture. There's much for us to get out of these eight verses here today. The text says that, and Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, 
because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Lord, verse 23, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Everybody say, two nations. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, he goes on to say, behold, there were twins in her womb. Verse 25, the first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. For those who are super hairy in the room, you found your your ancestor, all right? (laughs) So they called his name Esau. Verse 26, afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Wow. Verse 27, when, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Verse 28, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. But Rebecca loved Jacob. The, the title of my sermon this morning, simply put, is Let Go of the Heel. Let Go of the Heel. Some of y'all are like, hey, we, we good. We got the word. That's all I needed. I'm ready. I got to let, I gotta let, let it go. Let go of the heel. Before we are officially introduced to this man of God in the Bible, who God identifies with oftentimes, this man named Jacob, we are introduced to his Parents named Isaac and Rebekah. So let's go ahead and look in verse 21. Isaac and Rebekah have an, a, a really neat story, by the way. Um, it's kind of like a romantic fairy tale story, um, but yet at the same time, it's kind of like 2018 popular show called The Proposal, where you know you just you, you, your backs towards somebody, you turn around and propose, and it's just that's supposed to be what happens, and that is. They were living that back then, <laughs> all right? And so uh, Isaac sent for Rebecca. Rebecca received the invitation, and they met together, fell in love, and here we are. We, we, we see the parents of Jacob and Esau. However, they had complications when it came to having babies. It, the text tells us that Isaac was 60 years old. His wife was of similar age, and Isaac prayed, for his, prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebecca, his wife, conceived. I want to highlight the first part of this text today because I think there's a word for spouses in the room today. And I almost rushed past this and then God said, whoa, 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 don't, don't miss this because we don't get to Jacob if we don't have this. I love what it says here. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife. I have a word for the spouses in the room today. Let me go ahead and put it on the screen for you. Never stop praying for your spouse. In this context, it happened to be regarding childbearing. But nonetheless, the principle is alive. It says that Isaac decided to go to the Lord and to pray to the Lord for his wife. I think that there's so much power in in taking time. So instead of telling your gossip friend about your husband, or telling your gossip friend about your wife. Tell God. There's a principle here that we can learn from this. 
is that Isaac's like, man, I'm, I'm struggling with something. My wife was having very difficulty identifying this. She was, hey, the promise is supposed to go through Isaac and me, and we're supposed to have babies, and yet we're both 60 now, and we're struggling. And Isaac says, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for my wife. And I love what it says. It says, the Lord granted his prayer. Right? The Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. James chapter 4, verse 3 says that, that you have not because you ask not. Let me clarify, because I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm saying. God is not a genie in the bottle, and he is not your personal ATM machine. All right? So this principle is not true of greedy prayers. It's not true of, hey, quick, rich schemes. Um, you don't just pray a prayer and just because that, you, know, you, you, you just want something for yourself. It, it probably is not going to happen, says James. But if you want to glorify God and you have a request on your heart, James says, you better make it known. We have multiple examples in the Bible where men and women approach God in prayer and it moves God to action. For whatever the reason, hear me, church family, for whatever the reason, God has chosen to limit his activity to the prayers of his people. You have not because you ask not. In other words, it would have happened if you would have asked. And so we see that here on display. We should always, always go to God in prayer. I bet you that, that Isaac, maybe this was his 1,000th prayer. I'm, I bet you he, he's glad he prayed it. Amen? Don't, don't stop praying on the, on the fifth prayer or the sixth prayer or the seventh prayer. Keep knocking on God's door and grabbing his attention. We see that on display for us here. If you see it, say, I see it. I see that the Lord granted his prayer. God God moved, and she conceived. Praise the Lord. Let's keep reading on to verse 22. The children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. So let me also give you this word while we're on the context of prayer. Be careful what you pray for because you just might get it. I love this right here. She's like, man, I wanna be pregnant, God. Why isn't this happening for me? Isaac, pray for me. I've been praying, you need to be, you've been praying, and then she conceived, and she's like, why is this happening to me? <laughs> she's like, Lord, if it's, if, it, if it's this, why is this, what happened, God? What, what's going on? He's like, you've been praying for it, you've been asking me for it, I'm just giving you what you, you prayed for. There was once a, uh, a story about an old Baptist church in Texas, and the, uh, right across the street from this old Baptist church in Texas um, came this, this new, really popular bar and pub place that was going up right next door, and, and so they were all fired up, and they were going to have this, this big moment, and, and this, this church said, you know what, let's start praying against it right now. So they just huddled up the, all their congregant members, and they said, we're praying against this bar. And for months on months, they held prayer meetings and said, we're praying, God, don't allow this bar to come up. We don't want it. We don't, we don't like it. And this bar was having issues with them. And then finally, right before the public launch of this bar, a lightning strike just, boom, blew up the whole bar, all right? And so the, so the church was like, yeah, that's right. We, we, we got y'all. Um, we prayed for it until, until the bar said, all right, we're going to sue y'all for ruining our plans. 
because it was your fault that our bar got blown up. And so they took them to court. There was this big old trial and the judge said, what is going on here? And then the church said, it's not our fault. That wasn't what, we didn't do that. That's, that's not what, we, that is not true. And they said, it is your fault. We're suing you because this happened. And, and the judge said, this is the strangest thing. We have a whole church that doesn't believe in prayer and a whole bar that does, <laughs> right? Um, in, in, in other words, uh, be careful what you pray for. You, you, you may get it and um, we'll see what happens there? Make sure you, you examine, you evaluate, right? You're like, God, I want a wife, I want a wife. And he sends you a wife and you're like, marriage is hard, right? Or, God, I want to plant a church, I want to plant a church. And then you're like, man, this is hard, right? And whatever that, that prayer is, God's saying, hey, just make sure you know what you're asking for. I'm gonna give it to you. One of the greatest prayers that you can ask is these two words, use me. Until God starts using you and you're like, man, this is tough right here. Or maybe you're like, I didn't, I didn't mean to be used that way. I wanted to be used the way that I wanted to be used. But, be careful what you ask for. You, 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 just, you just might get it. We see here the children were twins. Wow. And they struggled together within her. So she said, why, why is this happening to me? And she inquired of the Lord. You know what? That's another good example on prayer. When something's happening in your life that's causing you to struggle... When something's happening in your life and it's, and it's challenging you in your thinking, it's challenging, it's a burden on your back. You're like, man, what is going on? Why is this happening? Here's what you should do. Inquire of the Lord. Say, God, why is this happening? God, why is this heavy on my heart? God, why, are, why am I, what's going on? And she did that. And, and I believe that it's when we inquire of the Lord when we're anxious that God moves. Let me prove it to you out of Philippians chapter four, verse six through seven. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, anything and everything. Amen. Find yourself in those, in between those two books ends, the bookend of anything and the bookend of every situation. Don't be anxious about it, but by prayer and petition, some translations say supplication, petitioning to God with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Go ahead and get your picket sign and go in your prayer closet and be like, yo, God, I'm picketing for my prayer request. I got something that I want to bring before you. And the peace of God, verse seven, which transcends all understanding. You might not understand it. You might not make sense to you, family, but it's a calling on your life. God says the peace will guard your hearts, will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. I, I know that sometimes I just need God to guard my heart. Lord, guard my heart as I go into this meeting. God, guard my mind as I step into this conversation. God, guard me. I got anxiety about this. Lord, I need your peace. And so we have a principle that we're learning. Before we ever get to Jacob, we, we, meet, we meet a praying husband and a praying wife in Isaac and Rebecca. Amen? You got that? So I hope that we are able to learn from them. Uh, here's, what, here's what God spoke back to Rebecca when she inquired about what was happening inside her. The Lord spoke to her and said, the two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall, shall serve the younger. Interesting statements right here. The Lord communicates that you're going to have two boys, and uh, they're going to be twins, and they're, they're, they're going to be two nations, two rivals. There'll be division. That's like tough news to get from God, amen? 
Like, man, spoiler alert from the Lord. It's about to be on. Said that they struggled within her. Maybe your Bible translation would say they were jostling within her. The word jostle, by definition, I had to look it up, is it means to compete forcefully, to push elbow or bump up against. They were struggling. They were jostling within her womb. They were competing against each other as babies. They were competing and bumping up against each other and and arm wrestling each other and poking each other. And she's like, what is going on? Let's continue reading on to verse 24 and 26. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. Verse 25, the first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. Interesting, just, just want to take a second, just visualize, visualize Esau, little red hairy boy. So they called his name Esau, which meant one who is hairy. She's like, ah, we don't need it, just call him Esau. Yes, he's the hairy one. And, and afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So they named him, Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore him. Jacob means heel grabber. (laughs) Jacob means one who grabs heels. I ain't playing with y'all. It's uh, the ESV study Bible says it like this. Uh, the, The name Jacob not only resembles the Hebrew term for heel, Jacob, but also has the connotation of deceiver. To grasp someone by the heel was apparently a figure of speech meaning, end quote, to deceive, end quote. The, the motif of deception appears in a number of episodes associated with this heel grabber, Jacob. Jacob, this one who was, who was grasping after his brother's heel, at his earliest of days, his, his earliest of age, brother was not even a minute old and he was trying to pull him back in. Now, now it's funny, but there would also be some motivation to, to do such a thing if this was possible. The, um, to be the firstborn was a big deal. I mean, I think it's still, it's still an important uh, deal, but in this culture, it's a huge deal. There were several things that came along with being the, the firstborn, two in particular. Uh, to be the firstborn means that you, you had the birthright. That means that you were the, the firstborn and the oldest, and with that comes an inheritance when your father would pass away. And so you would get the greater amount of inheritance. You would get the large chunk. You would get the large lump sum of inheritance from dad. And not only that, but you would get the blessing when it was time as well. So the older son would not only get this inheritance one day, but he would also get this blessing where the father would lay his hands upon his son's head and say, I'm now blessing you with everything that I have. I'm now blessing you with, with purpose. I'm now blessing you with, with passion. I'm now blessing you with status. I'm now blessing you with gifts. I'm now blessing you. And to, to lay your hands, it's really a powerful picture of what fathers should be doing with their children. 
is, is equipping them and blessing them to take on the baton and to continue running the race and for the king of kings, right? And so to, to get that type of blessing would fall upon the firstborn, to get that type of inheritance. And so Jacob is jostling. He's wrestling. I'm coming out first. And he's, he's clutching at this heel. What I want to do is I want to use this, this phrase, heel grabber, and talk about how we oftentimes have this same type of mentality uh, in our lives today. I think what you could potentially call it is a me first mentality. It's, a, it's the mentality that says, you know what, I want to be first. It's this competitive mentality that says, you know what, unless I have more than you, I won't be fulfilled. It's this mentality that says, unless I come out first, unless people give me the credit first, unless people see me as number one and you as number two, unless I have more likes and retweets than you, then I won't feel valued. And it's the struggle that we have in our culture today that people are finding their value in them being first rather than who they are in him. And I think Jacob, we can make the case that if you look at the entirety of Jacob's life, he wrestled with his identity of being known. He, he felt like he always had to one-up. He felt like he always had to be the, the better one, this me-first mentality. I want it to be, to be me-first. And I've realized that in our culture, nobody likes a me-monster. Can I get an amen? Do you like hanging out with me-monsters? You, you guys are all hanging out at lunch after church today, and then one person just jumps in and talks all about themselves. And you're like, oh, man, here we go. You're like, man, and then you, just, you try to jump in, you try to like find your pause, like there's a moment, like the, the food finally comes, and then you just try to throw, just try to throw something in there, like, so I saw a movie last night, and they're just like, I saw a movie too. I saw this movie, and here, let me tell you all about the movie, and you're like, oh, there's that me first mentality, but I want to go ahead and, and redeem that me first mentality, this clutching at the heel mentality, I, I need to pull you back, I need to, I need to be first mentality. And I want, to, I want us to replace that with a God mentality, a, a God first mentality. What if we were to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to say, I'm not going to have a me first mentality, I'm going to have a God first mentality. Let me, give you, let me give you what a God first mentality looks like. It looks like him first, others second, and you third. If you're able to live out a God first mentality, I believe that God will be able to use you and do things in your life bigger and more grand than you would have ever dreamed. A God-first mentality where you say, you know what, it's actually not all about me. Where this person actually is getting some spotlight, he's coming out right now, I'm gonna let him come out. I'm not even gonna grasp his heel. This person's getting a promotion and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna celebrate it with him. This person's growing in their walk, I'm gonna shout him out. This person's walking in blessing and favor and you know what, I'm just gonna go ahead and just, I'm gonna bless him too. Right? This, this reality that first and foremost, I'm focused on Jesus. My relationship with him is primary. My relationship with him is, 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 is uh, priority. It's not just a priority. It's the priority, and I'm focused. I'm locked in on him. And then after that, I, I got others that I'm concerned about. My family, my friends, my church. I'm going to put their interests before my own. It's a biblical principle that I think if you lived out, you would be more joyful. You would be more at peace if you blessed others 
than if you had to be the one that's always being blessed above everybody else. Let me show it to you in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus says, well, wait, 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 but, 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 but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Maybe you'd say, well, how do I seek first his kingdom? Seek his righteousness. And Jesus says, all these things will be added to you. See, people were asking, where are we going to go to sleep tonight? What are we going to wear? Who's going to provide for us food? You know, like, like take a mission trip with Jesus. He doesn't come up with the itinerary. Like, all right, here, here's, what, here's our plan for today, you guys. Let's pray, right? Jesus is like, just follow me. And they're like, whoa, 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 where, where, where are we going? And Jesus says, hey, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I'll take care of the rest. I think we should live like that. That'll relieve anxiety if you have a God-first mentality. If it's you first, then you need to know all those things, always. If it's me first, I got to have all my boxes checked before I trust God. I think you just need to trust God. He'll check the boxes for you. Amen? If you trust him, he'll say, I'll add it. I'll, I'll add it. God is in the business of addition. I believe it. And multiplication and subtraction. Sometimes he'll subtract things from your life in order to take you into a new season for you to walk into your destiny equipped. We see this in Jacob's life. If you stay the course for this entire series, you'll, you'll see it. We see this also in Matthew chapter 20, verse 16, Jesus giving us kingdom principles, right? If you live in the world, you'll get worldly principles. It'll say, you, have, you better be first, dog eat dog. Jesus says, the last will be first, and the first will be last. One of my favorite scriptures is where Jesus is in the context of talking about leadership. And leadership's a big deal in, in our, our society. There's more leadership books being written than ever. But Jesus is, he's writing on leadership in, in his book, and he says, the greatest leader among you will be the greatest servant among you. So you can identify leadership by servanthood. One of my favorite stories uh, regarding servant leadership is dates back to when I remember driving by the Steak and Shake with a buddy who was part of our church there. And I remember us saying, man, let's grab a shake. And so we, we popped up in there. And as we got in, I remember wa us walking by and there was this lady on her knees and she had a little gum scraper. And so she was on her knees and she was scraping the gum off. And we were like so moved by that. We were like, dang, that's tough. Like, can we help you? And she looked up and she said, you know, that's very kind of you. Thanks for for offering your help, but you know what? Well, I'm good. You guys go ahead, enjoy your shake. And so we walked in, we said, okay, no problem. We walked in, we ordered our shake, and then we heard the door open behind us. And she said, hey, to the guy who was taking our order, she said, make sure you comp both of their shakes. And he said, you got it, manager. And it was this, this reminder to me like, oh snap, authority was just demonstrated there. Right, power was just demonstrated, but this lady was ultimately setting an example of what it looked like to be a leader, right? She's saying, hey, listen, I'm gonna do the tough stuff. I'm gonna show the example on what it looks like, and I don't need anybody praising me. I don't, I don't need to wear like a big shirt that says, I'm the manager and I'm doing this. Make sure everybody sees me. Um, but she was gonna do it anyway, whether we showed up or not, and because of it, we got blessed. You know, and so I wanna encourage you, if you really wanna be a great leader, Live with a God-first mentality. Live with a God-first mentality. So the last will be first. The first shall be last. I think a me-first mentality, there's actually a name for a me-first mentality in the Bible. The name that the Bible gives for a me-first mentality is the word pride. 
Because what pride basically, the, the definition for pride is just me first. Me before God, me before you, me before anything else, and then if there's extra, you can have it. God, I don't need to listen to you because I got the right answers. God, I don't need to listen to counsel in my life because I have the right answers. It's this me, it's this clutching at the heel that we'll see in Jacob's life left and right. I need to get over on somebody. I need to grab the heel. Jesus tells us in the book of Proverbs that pride goes before destruction. He says, a haughty spirit before the fall. So if you want destruction to take place in your life, I'm going to give you a prophetic word. Live a prideful life. It will ultimately lead to destruction. The me first mentality leads to destruction. Whether now or in eternity, it will. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, Peter, who struggled with pride, he, he realized this and he wrote about it. He said, uh, clothe yourselves with humility. When you put on clothes, put on the clothes of humility. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I always am reminded of that word oppose. It's the, it's the image of a stiff arm. It's the Heisman trophy, right? God is hitting you with that Heisman when you're prideful. He's saying, get off me. I'm not, I don't have any room for the me first mentality. If there, oh, there's only one me first, and that's God. If you're going to invite God into your life, he's saying, all right, this, here's how this is going to work. I'm first. Me first. And it, you got to be okay with that if you want a relationship with Jesus. It'll be the best thing you could ever do. But that's the reality of the Bible. When we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying God first. All right? Y'all got that? Right? Uh, here's what Proverbs 15 says. I remember just reading this proverb. If you don't read the Proverbs every day, you're missing out. Read, read the proverb every single day. Proverbs 22 today. I read it this morning. I was challenged and encouraged by it. I'm going to read 23 tomorrow. I hope you join me in it. Proverbs 15, I remember reading this a few days ago. It says, the Lord tears down the house of the proud. If you have a me first mentality, God will tear that house down. We'll see in Jacob's life, this me first mentality gets torn down by God. And we can learn from a lot of different places with, with that. So let, let's reverse that. And let's say God first, others second. How about others second? That's a challenging one, right? Others second. Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. What's the second commandment? It's like it. To love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? Let me show it to you in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Paul writes to the Philippian church. Let, can you guys join me? Can we read this off the screen together? Ready, one, two, three. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He says, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. How countercultural does that sound? I mean, don't y'all wish more drivers would listen to that? Come on, live this out when you exit this parking lot today, please, in the name of Jesus. I'm talking to myself, y'all. <laughs> Especially when you're running late to something and you hop on that highway and you're like, whoa, whoa. Live out that, that God first mentality. Him first, others second, me third, me third. Parents, live out that, live that out. Uh, spouses, live that out. 
Single, live that out. Church member, live that out. Brother, sister, live out the God first mentality. The, the, the me first mentality always has to be better, doesn't it? The me first mentality just never has enough. I like how the philosopher C.S. Lewis says it. He writes about pride. We'll get ready to finish up here. He says, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. It is the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone. This idea that it's not, it's not whether or not I have it or not, it's that I have it and you don't. <laughs> and that, that's something that communicates a spirit of pride. In Jacob's life, we're gonna see in his relationship with his brother Esau, he has to be first. In his relationship with his wives, which was a bad decision on his part, we see him fall into the trap there. In his relationship with his, I think, 11 kids, it gets crazy, right? And he has a wrestling match with God finally and lets all this frustration out. And what God was trying to get him to see is you need to have a God-first mentality, not a me-first mentality. And so we're gonna continue to look at his story, but before we close, I want us to look at one more verse of scripture. And our, as our worship team makes their way up, this will be the last one I read for us today. Uh, let us look, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who lived this principle out better than Jacob, better than you or I. And he says it to us in the book of Mark, chapter 10, verse 45. Look at this verse with me. Let's read this one off the screen too. Ready? Go. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The greater Jacob is Jesus. If we fix our eyes on Jesus too long, or fix our eyes on Jacob too long, we'll, we'll get discouraged. Even as a pastor, if you fix your eyes on me too much, I'll let you down at some point. I want to continue to say, man, just fix your eyes on Christ. He'll never let you down. People are going to let you down. Jesus isn't going to let you down. He is the greater Jacob. Even the son of man says, you know what? I did not come to be served. Do you ever see Jesus like, yo, serve me. I'm, I'm the Lord. Do you ever see Jesus throwing his title around? Jesus spent more time telling people to not tell people who he was. Jesus was like, I'm not, I'm not here for the attention. I'm not here for the credit. I'm here to save sinners. A God first mentality. A God first mentality says, I must decrease, he must increase. A God first mentality says, I have not shown up so you, to, so you can serve me, I've shown up so I can serve you. That's my mentality is to say, God first, I'm, I'm third, I'm gonna put other people second. And we see Jesus gave his life as an example. So while Jesus is on the cross, what type of prayer does he pray? How do you pray, Jesus? Come on. Father, forgive them. For they don't even know what they're doing. They don't even know they have a me first mentality. And so Jesus is on the cross. He's, he's dying for my sin. He's dying for your sin. He's dying in your place. He's giving his life as a ransom for many. I hope you're part of the many. 
Jesus knows not everybody is going to receive that message, but I hope you would, and that you would look upon the Christ who's on the tree dying for you and me. Bloodshed, open tomb, resurrected king, calling me and you. And he's saying, hey, you can have a God-first mentality because that's the best mentality. That's so freeing to have. When it's not all about you, there's so much freedom in that. I find more joy out of blessing than being blessed these days. Sometimes I want to take my blessing and give it back to somebody else just because God is so good in that. Amen? If you can live a God-first mentality, it'll set you free. Let us learn from Jacob. What heels are you grabbing? That's the question that I want you to ask, and we'll close. What, what heels are you saying, I got to grab a hold of? I have to get, I have to come first. What I want, I'm going to say the title of my message one more time. Let go of the heel. All right? Let go of the heel. Preach it to the person next to you. Say, I, let go of the heel. Tell them, let go of the heel. Let go of the heel.